By George, I think I've got it. Yes, I think I have cracked the code. The reason that Ohio State was dropped to number two and LSU is number one in the college football playoff. I'll explain here coming up in a few minutes on the Locked on Buckeyes podcast. But I think for once, all of those of you saying Southern bias, SEC bias, whatever you want to call it, I think it's real. I'm not going to say spectacular. Boy, I'm so tempted. Line from Seinfeld, real and spectacular. This is not spectacular, but I think it is the reason, and I'll explain why. Also, Ohio State matches up with Clemson better than you think. I've looked at this from every angle. There are ways Ohio State will attack the Tigers. I will explain coming up in the second segment and later in the show, Ohio State basketball looking like every bit the juggernaut that Ohio State football is. The number one team in the country in college basketball, I think, resides in Columbus, Ohio. My thoughts from their win over Penn State and why I think they are very much a national title contender. Lock on Buckeyes is brought to you by JFQ Lending. All of your mortgage and refinance needs should be handled by a Buckeye. Licensed in 33 states and more on the way. Check them out at jfqlending.com. Also, thank you to support from GoBus. Ohio's rural intercity bus system can bring you to Columbus for Ohio State sporting events with over 40 stops to locations across the state. Check them out at ridegobus.com. As always, Locked On Buckeyes, your only five-day-a-week Ohio State football and basketball podcast can be found on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. Check us out. We are on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and, of course, by simply saying, play Locked on Buckeyes on your smart speakers. I'm on Twitter at KYLAM8. The show is on Twitter at Locked on Buckeyes Singular. Before I get knee-deep in the muck here in this first segment, talking about this college football playoff selection committee, it was a train wreck. And I'm going to explain, because there are so many angles here, that I think college football fans, as well as, of course, Ohio State fans, should legitimately be concerned with how this committee functions. And I'm going to name a few reasons why Ohio State probably did not hold on to the number one spot. And I think some of you are going to be fuming when I explain the process and how we got to where we are. Before I go down that rabbit hole, I I do want to say this. I thought Ohio State showed the mark of a true champion this past week. So many people were so upset and furious about that first half performance. I caught a lot of flack on Twitter for saying, Chill out, people. It'll be okay. Ohio State's in the playoff no matter what. They would have been, even if they had lost that game, they were going to be fine. But I get people being frustrated. But you should have seen the warning signs. I tried to tell you last week, not to say I told you so, but the rematch factor. The rematch factor is so difficult in college football. It's it's not just playing a team a second time. It's playing a tough team like Wisconsin. That Wisconsin team is good. They're better than Georgia. They're not more talented than the Bulldogs, but they are a better team. Wisconsin only has 10, 4, and 5-star players on the roster. Georgia has 50-some. It's not that they're as talented, but they are a better football team. They've got, a, I think, a slightly better quarterback. 
They've got a comparable run game, and they've got a comparable defense. I think the biggest difference between Georgia and Wisconsin is I think Wisconsin has better receivers. So you're playing this Wisconsin team that is a really tough team. You've already beat them by 31 points. They came in, and I thought they had a tremendous game plan. They executed well. They had unbelievable intensity. They were there to win the football game. Not that Ohio State wasn't. I think Ohio State's slow, sloppy, dominated beginning to that game in the first half was all because of Wisconsin and Ohio State being in the midst of a third consecutive game against a tough-minded top 10 opponent. Think about that. It had been 37 years since a team beat three straight top 10 opponents as ranked by the Associated Press at the time. 37 years. Auburn 1982 was the last time it happened. Ohio State, it wasn't just that they had to beat a third straight top 10 team. It's playing three straight top 10 teams where you have to get up all week long. You have to be emotional. You have to play a tough physical game against one of the best defenses in the country. Ohio State's offense had to play three straight top 10 defenses and had to play three straight games against top offenses with decent to good to even great battering offensive lines and great run games. Ohio State was up against it. They were physically drained. And more than that is they were emotionally drained. Ryan Day even acknowledged this after the game. He said that three straight games of opponents of that caliber really took its toll on Ohio State. And that is why what Ohio State did in the second half against Wisconsin was so freaking impressive. Because the Buckeyes had to reach deep in a game where they were physically and emotionally and mentally drained. They had to come back from a two-touchdown deficit at halftime. And they did everything perfect to win that game in the second half. They executed, they blocked, they made passes. They were, I thought, sharper and more intense in the second half. They used every bit of energy that they had left. And they overcame not only playing three straight top 10 opponents, not only beating three straight top 10 opponents, but the third of which they did so against a team that they already beat by 31 points earlier in the year. Ohio State, what they did this weekend against Wisconsin, even in getting down 21-7 at half, is the most impressive thing that they have done all season long. I mean that. That is the mark of a championship team. It is so freaking difficult to run the table undefeated in a regular season. It's even more difficult. Remember, Alabama's only done it a couple times under Nick Saban. It's even more difficult to do it, winning every single game by double digits that Ohio State did. So I think the Buckeyes showed the mark of a true championship team. They are absolutely deserving of being number one. They have run the table beating everybody by double digits. And it really irritates me when you see LSU, look, and I'm not bagging on LSU. They're a good team. What they've done this season is impressive. LSU is a one-trick pony. They do one thing well, but that one trick is a really impressive trick. They have a phenomenal, flawless 
above average, tremendous pass game. And they beat teams because Joe Burrow and, and that pass game is sensational. They're just an average run team. They don't really run the ball with any regularity or consistency. They're just an okay run defense. They have the ability to be better than they are, but they haven't been. And that secondary, did anybody watch the game against Georgia? Look, that Georgia offense is a mess right now. Jake Fromm can't complete passes consistently. They're down a couple of their best receivers. George Pickens for one half. Lawrence Cager is out for the rest of the year. But the third, fourth, and fifth receivers were running open, wide open through that secondary. If LSU was facing a competent pass attack on Saturday, they would have been in trouble. They have issues defensively, and that's why I'm irritated when I hear people out there saying, well, LSU is peaking at the right time. They're peaking at the right time because just three weeks ago, they gave up 600 yards to Ole Miss, and they were fortunate enough to be able to finish the year against a Texas A&M team that has played 50 drives against top 25 teams, over 50 drives offensively, and they've led for two of them. Two drives out of 50-some against top five, top 25 teams, they've actually led the game by a total of 10 points in the first quarter. That Texas A&M team is not good. So LSU is peaking because they played a bad Texas A&M team or a mediocre Texas A&M team, to be more fair, and a mediocre Georgia team that already had offensive woes, and they were exacerbated by the fact that their two best players, Lawrence Cager and DeAndre Swift, basically didn't play. And their third best player, George Pickens, played only the second half. Swift actually technically played, but he didn't start, and he only got a couple of touches. He was not healthy. So you take Georgia's three best offensive weapons, basically didn't play for most of the game. Yeah, it's no wonder LSU blew them out. So... The question has to be asked, why then did LSU pass Ohio State? Because when Ohio State, think back a couple weeks ago, when they passed LSU, they had just beat Penn State, okay? So they go from number two to number one. I think Penn, or I think LSU had just beaten Arkansas, if I remember correctly. So Ohio State passes them. Then they add another win against Michigan, And they add this recent win against Wisconsin. LSU beats Texas A&M and then beats Georgia. And in the same time frame, their best win, Alabama, doesn't look quite as good because they lose, albeit without Tua. We understand that. Take that into account. But nonetheless, Alabama does lose and drops from number five to number 12 after losing to Auburn. So then you have to ask the question, Why now does Ohio State pass LSU? It doesn't make any sense because the committee through Rob Mullins, the chairperson, had been telling us they thought Ohio State, A, was the best, most complete, most dominant, well-rounded team in the country. And number two, or or letter B, I can't remember if I said A or one, but (laughs) then they also say Ohio State, by the way, with four top 25 wins, Ohio State is better than LSU's profile. So they also say Ohio State is more deserving on top of being better than LSU. So it doesn't make any sense. Why does Ohio State get passed this week? 
because I was sure that they would stay there for good once they were at number one. If they ran the table beating three straight top 10 teams, and you're telling me this Ohio State team is the best team in the country, and by the way, they are. What they are doing right now is historically dominant. They just ran the table 13 straight games winning by double digits. Only a couple teams in college football history have ever done that. Ohio State is historically dominant. So then, why didn't they stay number one? I'll tell you why, and it's a fundamental flaw of the committee. Until we get this fixed, this is going to continue happening. There is an issue of construction with the committee. The way it is comprised, the way it is made up, we have an issue. What I didn't account for when I said Ohio State would be number one is this. Two weeks ago when Ohio State passed LSU and the committee said, yeah, Ohio State's our, we think they're the best, most complete team in football. We think they got the best resume. They did that because they had all 13 committee members voting Ohio State. And there were certainly some dissenters. I don't know what the actual vote is. Those are Those will never be revealed. Those votes will never come out in public. But whatever it was, I'm sure there were some people still voting for LSU, but the majority clearly voted Ohio State number one. But then a funny thing happened. Oregon this past weekend beat Utah. Oklahoma this past weekend beat Baylor. What that meant was Oregon and Baylor, or I'm sorry, Oregon and Oklahoma both wind up in the top six of the committee's first ballot. That is huge because the way the committee votes, the the, stru- the way the structure works is they have, first they start out by having everybody list 30 teams, okay? The 30 teams that get the most votes go onto their, their big board, if you will, the consideration board. Out of those 30 teams, then, they start at the top. They have every committee member, each of the 13 members, list exactly six teams that they want to discuss for the first ballot. The top six teams are then put on the board. Those six teams are the ones the committee discuss and decide to vote. Once they get around to voting, they rank the teams one through six, and the top three get put on the board. That's critical because what happened in this case, with Oregon and Oklahoma on the board on those first six teams because they won and they got moved up, That meant that Rob Mullins, the Oregon athletic director, Joe Castiglione, the athletic director at Oklahoma, as well as Frank Beamer, whose son Shane Beamer is a coach at Oklahoma, those three people on the committee did not get to participate in the first ranking vote or the discussion. They had to leave the room for the discussion and could not vote in that first one through six ranking. What that meant was is the the rest of the committee, the other 10 members that were still in the room, you wound up with a committee that had five different people with Southern ties. You had former Texas A&M coach R.C. Slocum. You had Georgia Tech Athletic Director Todd Stansberry. You had Florida Athletic Director Scott Strickland. You had Arkansas State Athletic Director Toei Mahager. And then you also had Ken Hatfield, a former Clemson player and Clemson and Arkansas coach. 
So out of 10 members, you now have five of the 10 with a Southern affiliation. So in this case, I don't think the college football playoff committee has an SEC bias per se, but it absolutely is fair to say that we had a fundamental flaw with this committee because when you had 13 people, there was enough support for Ohio State at number one. You take three of those people away, you're left with five out of 10. That's half of the committee with a Southern quote-unquote bias. And now LSU has enough support. They pass Ohio State. That is the reason, I think, that Ohio State got passed. And this is a fundamental flaw. And it's not just the Southern bias, although that is a huge issue. But the, the makeup of this committee makes no sense. On the committee, there's a professor from Arizona State University. There's the president of Robert Morris University. There is a former U.S. Army chief of staff, Ray Odierno. It's maddening. What are we doing here? What are we doing? Why do we not have football people making football decisions? I want, I don't want academics. I don't want politicians. I don't want military people. I want people with football expertise that can comb through the analytics, that can look at a, look at a team, watch a game with a critical eye and know what they're watching. Sure, I'm sure these people are football fans. We'd all love to serve on this committee. Hey, give me a call. I'm available. I will serve as a college football playoff committee member. I'm qualified, right? I, I like football. Does that mean I'm qualified? No, of course not. Give me some former coaches. I don't mind the athletic directors being on this committee, except for the fact that when you have athletic directors that have to leave the room, they can't even participate in the most important part of the process. That's a problem. This committee is flawed until we fix this, this leaky foundation. We will continue to get moments like this. This is why it's inconsistent. The process is flawed because we have a committee that is fundamentally flawed in the makeup, the regional bias, people leaving the room subjects itself to more bias. Ohio State is not number one because in this case, it's funny, I laugh at Ohio State fans, no offense to some of you, but I laugh because you know sometimes you're always about SEC bias and SEC narratives and Everybody is out to get the Big Ten and everybody else because it's always favoring the SEC. Sometimes, let's be honest, people, you overdo it sometimes. But in this case, you actually have a point. The Southern bias got exposed because people had to leave the room. If Oregon and Oklahoma lose and Baylor and Utah are in the discussion in that top six, the ironic thing is, I think Ohio State does become number one because all 13 members are voting in that first step and the Buckeyes are saved. How ironic. It's just if, if Baylor and Utah win, we're not discussing this. Ohio State winds up with the number one seed. The process is flawed. The committee is flawed. There are a number of things that can be done. You can expand the committee, add another 10 to 15 people. You can... Like Joel Klatt, I heard this idea a few weeks ago. You could add a second committee and take the average of the two. There are a number of things that you can do, but whatever, 
It needs to be done. I don't want to see this anymore. It's a broken system. Fix it, people. Coming up, why I think Ohio State actually has a huge matchup advantage against Clemson that few, if any, are talking about. I'll explain in a minute. Unfortunately, yes, Ohio State did not get the number one seed. It meant they are number two. They will be hosting Clemson in the Fiesta Bowl on December 28th. That will be the evening game, 8 p.m. start, roughly a little bit after 8 p.m. kickoff. Ohio State is a two-point underdog in the early line released on Sunday against the Clemson Tigers. I know many of you have a healthy respect for Clemson. Some of you have an unhealthy obsession with Clemson. Others are terrified by the mighty Tigers, who are the defending champs and have not been beaten this year by anybody, and Dabo Swinney will remind you of that fact. I am here to tell you that I respect Clemson. They are talented. They are a very, very good football team, but they are very beatable, and I actually think Ohio State is the team to do it. First of all, let's look at talent. I mentioned this little factoid on Twitter on Sunday. Total talent from top to bottom, four and five star players on the roster. Ohio State, 72 in the last four years signed. Clemson signed 47 in the last five years. Interestingly enough, both Michigan and Penn State actually have more four and five star players on the roster than does Clemson. Does that mean Clemson is not a good of a team as Michigan or Penn State? No, of course not. Clemson is legitimately one of the three best teams in the country. That is not a fact I'm disputing. What I am saying, though, is they're not otherworldly and they're not super uber talented relative to other teams Ohio State has played. When Ohio State takes the field on December 28th with this Clemson team, they will do so having already been battle-tested. Three straight team, three straight wins against top 10 teams, a fourth win earlier in the season against Wisconsin, who was ranked number 13 at the time. They've beaten Wisconsin twice. They've beaten Penn State. They've beaten Michigan. Ohio State is battle-tested. They have now not only faced competition, but they have faced adversity. Clemson had a little bit of adversity in that North Carolina game. And to their credit, they overcame it, although it took a failed two-point conversion to do. But they have been rolling along since. They have dispatched a really historically weak conference, so much so that the ACC Coastal is actually rated lower in Sagarin's ratings than the uh, American Athletic Conference West. So it is a really really weak uh, um, ACC conference this year. I'm not saying that that means Clemson can't beat Ohio State, that they won't beat Ohio State, that they can't beat LSU or won't beat LSU or Oklahoma, which, by the way, I think Oklahoma has a real good chance to win. I'll talk more about that in the coming weeks. But I think Oklahoma is a terrible matchup for LSU. I really do. But Clemson has been sleepwalking through a schedule. And to their credit, they're dispatching teams as they should and probably more impressively than they should. But they haven't been through the rigors. They haven't been through the adversity. Ohio State has. And it's not just the intangibles that I think Ohio State has an edge here. There's actually an on-field reason I think the Buckeyes can and probably even will beat Clemson. Clemson has a very, very small front seven 
almost as small as Michigan. They're about five pounds heavier up front on average and about five pounds heavier in the middle at the linebacker position. Like Michigan, Clemson has a really, really good defense, especially a good run defense, a good secondary. But unlike these past couple Clemson teams, 16, 17, 18, that had enormous talent, especially on the defensive line, they're not as talented as in the past. This Clemson team is getting by with some quickness, but also a lot of scheme, confusing people, blitzing the crap out of people, sending it from other directions, like trying to disguise coverage. They try to fool you, and then they try to beat you in space. Ohio State is a bully. Ohio State can run over you as well as run around you. And I think that Clemson has not, because they have not faced a a truly a good team, they haven't faced a top 30 or 40 run offense the entire season. They're in for a world of, they're in, let's just put it this way. Reality may well set in on December 28th of what a really good offensive football team looks like because they haven't had to face it yet. And they're about to. So I think this game is going to play out a little bit like the Michigan game. I don't think Ohio State's going to score 56 on Clemson because I think they have a pass rush that if there is one weakness on Ohio State that I think they have, it is the pass protection. The Clemson blitzing worries me a little bit. The good news is Justin Fields presumably will be 100% from that sprained MCL and will have the brace off, which will allow him to have full mobility and the ability to run 15 to 20 times against Clemson, which they will need. And remember, there's going to be extra time from that game to the following Monday. There'll be like 10 days difference, something like that, before the championship. So if Ohio State does beat Clemson, there will be time off to rest up from his running. So there's there's a lot of built-in advantage there. But I think Ohio State will mimic what they did against Michigan on a smaller scale because of the smaller Clemson front. And remember, Clemson did struggle with North Carolina running the ball on them. Virginia had a little bit of success at in times running on Clemson as well. I think Ohio State's line has a chance to bully Clemson's front seven. If that happens, as long as they don't have turnovers from Justin Fields and he plays a, a, a smart game and is relatively efficient, I think Ohio State will score more points on Clemson than Clemson will score on Ohio State. So just at first glance, folks, I'm telling you, Clemson's schedule, it doesn't mean that they aren't good because they are. They, they really are a great team. But the teams they've been beating up on has masked some potential vulnerabilities with that team. I really think Ohio State is the better team despite being two-point underdogs. Ironically, in 2016, Ohio State was a couple-point favorites against Clemson. I'm not saying that Ohio State will thereby win 31-0 against Clemson this time around, but I, I really think there is a reason to be optimistic, if not excited about this matchup. I don't think not playing Oklahoma is the worst thing in the world because I think Oklahoma, with three weeks to prepare for LSU, is going to put some points on the board and might even put a hurting on the LSU Tigers. So I'm okay with this. All of my complaining or 
any criticism I've given about Ohio State being the number two seed has little to do with having to play Clemson. I'm more upset from a principled standpoint. I'm taking a principled stand because intellectually, I don't like the way this committee is functioning. I don't like the reason and the method to which they got to LSU being number one and Ohio State being number two. Because they had been telling us the last couple of weeks Ohio State was the best team in the country, most complete team in the country, had the best resume, best profile, most deserving, a.k.a. And by the way, I'm irritated at that. It's supposed to be best teams, not most, most deserving. I'm sick that we have allowed media to create this narrative to make it about most deserving because it's not supposed to be. But I won't get off on that tangent anymore. All I'm saying is this. Yes, I know it sucks. You would have rather played Oklahoma. But there is a bright side here. Ohio State, I think, is the best team in the country. And I'm not taking Clemson lightly because they're really good. But Ohio State can beat Clemson. I think they will. We got plenty of time to hash all that out. But I think come December 28th, I think the Buckeyes are going out to Arizona. And I think they've got a statement to make, and they will make it. Coming up, third segment, speaking of statements, oh my goodness, Ohio State basketball made another one on Saturday. I'll talk about their win against Penn State. On Saturday, while many of you were tailgating, pre-gaming, prepping for the a day of football, a long day of football, Big 12 championship, American Athletic Championship, SEC Championship, the Big 10 title game. Probably none of you were paying attention to the ACC title game, but it was a big day of football on Saturday. But while many of you were doing that, I was over at Value City Arena, the Schottenstein Center, watching Ohio State basketball, the number six team in the country currently, in name only. They're not, they're not number six. They are one of the, if not the best team in the country, one of the top two or three. But I watched them destroy a really good Penn State team. This Penn State team, you may not have noticed or may not have really grasp it from how they performed against Ohio State. Although I thought they played a good game against Ohio State. They made a lot of tough shots. Ohio State played pretty good defense. They they were hitting shots more so than they even have in the past. They're a tough, good rebounding team, good defensive team. Again, you wouldn't notice from the way Ohio State played offense, offense on Saturday. But this is a really good Penn State team. They have a little bit of an East Coast edge to them. They have a lot of Philly players, East Coast guys that are tough-minded. They're tough to really get down. This is gonna. This Penn State team is an NCAA tournament team, I think. They're going to win a lot of games. But what you saw from Ohio State on Saturday, once again, is a team that can shoot and score and defend and rebound. They've got depth. They've got balance. They're a well-rounded basketball team. If you shoot like they did on Saturday once, it's a it could be a fluke. If you do it twice like you did also against Villanova, okay, you're probably a pretty good team, but we, we still have a sample size issue. Maybe you're not as good as you've performed in a couple of games. But then you add in doing it again against North Carolina. So you've got Penn State, Villanova, North Carolina. That's three games where you've destroyed teams. North Carolina is not great. They lost again this weekend to Virginia, but they, it's still an impressive win to go down there and hand North Carolina one of the worst losses they've ever had in the Dean Dome. But you start doing this regularly now, and you've got something. 
Ohio State is number one in Pomeroy now. They're number one in Sagarin. They're top three or five in almost every major college basketball power rating in America. I heard a great stat. I, I tweeted this out on Saturday. You may have missed it. Ohio State now has three wins against the Ken Pomeroy top 50, okay? The three games I mentioned, Villanova, Penn State, and North Carolina. They won all three of those games by 20-plus points. They, they won against Penn State by 32. They won against North Carolina by 25, and Villanova by 24, I think it was. So that's three games between 24 to 32 points. Three top 50 Pomeroy opponents they've beaten so far. The rest of America combined have also a total of three wins, 20 points or more, against the Pomeroy top 50. Ohio State by itself has as many top 50 wins, blowouts of 20 points or more, as the rest of the country combined. Folks, this is Ohio State team. I said it after North Carolina. It's time to start thinking big. No pun intended. It is really time to start looking at this basketball team as not only a realistic Big Ten title contender, but a Final Four contender and gasp a national championship contender. This is the first time in seven years we can say that, I think, about an Ohio State team. It's legit. When you look at Ohio State in isolation, nothing jumps out at you. You don't see the the incredible talent. You don't see the the Cole Anthony's of the world. You don't see the Zion Williamson's of the world. You don't see that top three NBA pick. You don't see it oozing with 6'8", 6'9", NBA forwards. But Ohio State has no discernible weakness right now. They are a lot like the Ohio State football team. Maybe not as explosive, maybe not as much upper echelon talent like the Chase Youngs and Jeffrey Okuda's, but they're a lot like Ohio State football, and then they are just a well-oiled machine. Their rebounding is as good as I've seen it in several years. They play great defense. They're number two in adjusted defensive efficiency, as well as number two defensive field goal percentage, effective field goal percentage, which accounts for field goal or three-point field goals as well. So they're doing it on the defensive end, and they're doing it on the offensive end. They play inside out. Caleb Wesson, we've talked about his transformation, how athletic he is, how quick he is this year. He's playing defense like I've never seen him. He's making plays that I've never seen him make. Saturday, he had a rim run where he put the ball on the on the floor from just inside the three-point line and beat his man to the rim for a layup. I have not seen him do that before. He is quicker. He's more durable. He's better conditioned. He's a better defensive player. He's making shots. I mean, he's almost a 50% three-point shooter right now. Dwayne Washington is hitting shots with regularity. Luther Muhammad last year had a hitch. He was very mechanical getting into a shot. This year, he's not thinking. He's just get he's getting right up into his shot, and it's very smooth, and he's hitting at a high percentage. Of course, we talked about the point guards. Carton and Walker are both very, very good. They don't turn the ball over. They're making pretty good decisions. This is a very good basketball team. Ohio State, as I said, the computer ratings love them. The polls love them. When the new poll comes out this week, they're probably going to be in the top five, 
most likely three, maybe four. They've got a good chance of being number one in the NCAA net rankings for a second consecutive season to begin the year. But this time, I see it lasting. Last year, they kind of tailed off. We, we saw some things get exposed in December and January, and they really struggled down the stretch. They're not going to have those struggles this year as long as they stay healthy. It's a legit basketball team. It is a team that will compete for a Big Ten title if they're healthy and might even compete for a Final Four or a national championship. From what I've seen, this is completely objective. I promise you I'm not just trying to uh, I'm not get, trying to get your hopes up. I'm not putting on scarlet and gray glasses when I say this. This is a coming from an objective college basketball fan that's been watching a long time and seeing what I'm seeing in college basketball right now. Gun to my head. If I had to pick the number one team in college basketball right now, I would say it's Ohio State. And I mean that sincerely. They are really good. That's not to say they'll be the best team at the end of the year. I think Louisville's really good. I think Duke can be really good. Kentucky has got a lot of talent. I'm looking forward to that game. Ohio State-Kentucky coming up in a few weeks. Uh, Michigan State, they're still very talented. Lankford is not coming back, but they're one of the more athletic teams in the country. I think that they'll get things going a little bit more. Maryland is good. Michigan State or Michigan is good. We got a lot of basketball teams, a lot of basketball to be played, a lot of basketball teams that could still improve. That could still improve, but right now on this day, as we record this, going into it's Monday, December the 9th. That's what this show is for. Ohio State, in my opinion, the best basketball team in the country. How ironic, because Ohio State also has the best football team in the country. We'll talk more about that football team, Ohio State-Clemson, in the coming days and coming weeks. And, of course, we'll keep an eye on the OSU basketball program, who is on fire right now. Locked on Buckeyes, your only daily Ohio State football and bad basketball podcast. Find us on the platform of your choice. We're on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or simply say, play the Locked on Buckeyes podcast on your smart speakers. Catch me on Twitter at KYLAM8. Catch the show on Twitter at LockedOnBuckeyeSingular. Hope you have a great Monday. We'll be back on Tuesday with more Ohio State talk, more Ohio State, Ohio State chat as we look forward to Clemson, Ohio State, Fiesta Bowl, December 28th. Have a good one, everybody.